0: Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. Um, today is—I'm well, a little, a little hot there. Uh, today is an ex- Sunday, uh, exciting Sunday for many, many reasons. We have a lot of um, people who have returned to us in the families. So if you guys know Scott, he's up there in the back. He's been away for a whole year, um, and he's back. Uh, we also have the Huang family here in town. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I know a lot of you guys are here for that so um, just to invite you all we have a holy chow after service where you can grab lunch and just hear all about them and what God has been doing in their lives and so stick around afterwards as well and our, and our last thing I want to say I was given permission to say this but our very own Jeff and Grace have had their baby baby Joy yeah <laughs> Um, She was born healthy on Thursday, June 8th, and so um, you guys can send them a congratulations or something, and uh, hopefully we'll see them back soon. Um, Now today, um, I'm glad you're here, today we are continuing on in our first John series called This Is The Way. And for the whole month of June, we're going to be studying and looking at large snapshots of this book and, and why John wrote it and what it's all about, why it's important for us today. Now, Pastor Calvin kicked us off last week by teaching through the first four verses and giving us a brief introduction on 1 John. And I want to pick up where he left off. But first, I want to ask you a question Who is one person in your life that you love? It doesn't have to be weird, okay? Someone that you love, someone that you just enjoy. You enjoy who they are. You enjoy being around them, talking to them. You know, you, you share things, you do things with each other, and you know them, and they know you. And it's not just the type of knowing where you know things about them or you know of them from a distance, but you truly, deeply know them personally, deeply. You spend time with them regularly. You enjoy their presence and relationship intimately. They bring you joy. Does someone come to mind? Maybe it's your spouse or your mom or dad. Maybe it's a sibling or a best friend who just gets you, right? Can you picture them in your mind? Now, how many of you, when you pictured that person, you pictured God? Would you believe me today if I told you that you could have that type of relationship and that type of intimacy and closeness with the God of the universe? See, church, that's what we call fellowship. And it's exactly what the book of 1 John is all about. It's not just the place that we direct you after service, you know, to get the good snacks, the fellowship hall. It's not those things on on college campuses, you know, where there's 40 of them. It's not just that, right? Asian American Christian Fellowship, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's not just something you do when you hang out or socialize. It's much deeper than that. Fellowship is something that you have. It's a deep spiritual intimacy and connectedness with one another. And it comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means a mutual sharing, communion, a common bond or common life. And there's an element of partnership in that. And so fellowship for the Christian is shared, mutual, spiritual partnership with God and with other believers who have a shared life in Christ. It's essentially that prayer that Jesus prays for all believers in John 17, where he repeatedly prays, you know, for those who will be saved, and then those who will be saved in the future, that they will be one. That they will be one, just as he and the Father are one. So it's a picture of beautiful unity and intimacy between believers and with God. See, church fellowship is not surface level. It's not superficial. It goes deeper than that. It's sharing the vulnerable and the hard and the ugly and pointing each other to Christ. It's not just accepting Christ and praying the prayer. It's experiencing Christ Knowing him, enjoying him, being with him, and sharing in the good life with him. That's fellowship. So if you're honest with yourself, if you take a look at your life, do you have that type of fellowship with God and with his people? Maybe you've been a Christian for many years, but still ask yourself that question. Do you have that type of fellowship with God? Do you want one? You see, John gives the reason for why he's writing this book. It's all about fellowship. In verse 3, I'm going to, I know Pastor Calvin already talked about this, but I'm going to read it again. It says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. This is so we might have fellowship with the Father and the Son and with the body of Christ. Now, John's going to deal with a lot of different topics, like light and dark and love and hate and sin and life, but it's all under the umbrella of fellowship. And as you read those verses, you almost kind of hear it in John's voice, like his care and his love for these people. It's kind of like he's saying, like, I have experienced this fellowship with the God of the universe firsthand. Like, I have seen him and touched him and walked with Jesus firsthand. I have a personal relationship with God. He knows me, and I know him. And guys, you know what? It is so good, so, so good, and I want you to experience that too. you got to experience that too. And church, as I stand here this morning, that's my hope for you as well. Like, I love you guys. And I don't say that just because I'm on staff here and I have to. And I know there are some visitors in the room, but I I love you too. I love CLC. CLC has been my home since I moved to the Bay Area and you have been my family. And I genuinely love you guys and I care for you. I care for your life. I care for your family and I care about your spiritual walk with the Lord. I have in my own life, experienced that fellowship with God. I've tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord, and I want that for you too. And so if you haven't experienced that, I invite you to be open. Now, as a staff, we pray for this. We long for this, that you would not only know him, but you would walk with him, that you would do life with God. So again, my encouragement is just be open for what God might be doing and saying to you in these next few weeks. Now, before we dive into today's passage, let's recap a little bit. There's a little bit of context that goes with this. Now, remember, like many of the letters in the Bible, this was initially addressed to Christians who were dealing with false teaching that was slowly infiltrating the church. And John wants to address that and encourage the believers. And so, this time in particular, the false teaching was a heresy called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics were people who claimed to have this special knowledge about God that other people didn't have. It was a very elite, kind of special group. And they basically broke up the world into two categories the material and the spiritual. The material and the spiritual. And what they taught was a form of dualism. In which the material, all things material in the flesh or of the earth was evil and bad. And the spiritual was good. The unseen, the invisible, the the spirits and the mind. That was good. Now there are different branches of Gnosticism and we won't go into all those details today. But generally when it came to belief about Jesus, they denied that he was the Messiah. They denied that Jesus had a body of flesh. Um, they, they thought that he only appeared to have a body, but it wasn't really real. Because why, is, why would God, who is spirit and good, become flesh, which is bad, right? So they essentially did not believe in the incarnation. And not only were the Gnostics spreading this false knowledge and understanding of God, but it was also affecting everyday life. So for example, some Gnostics applied their belief by removing themselves completely from the physical material world altogether and uh, living an ascetic lifestyle. And on the other extreme, the other people thought, well, since spiritual is good, material is bad, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, I can live a sinful life and it it doesn't really matter because the only thing that matters is the spiritual. And so they were living in these two extremes, and these were the people who were claiming a special fellowship with God. And so this is what John is trying to fix here. He wants to set people straight, to show them that there's only one way in Jesus to have true fellowship with God. And you'll see in the book, as we we go throughout these weeks, um, John kind of does two things. Number one, he addresses doctrine, right? He He teaches something about God's nature. And number two, he addresses the practical. He shows how believers should live in light of who God is. And so number one, doctrine, right, right thinking about God. And number two, practice, right, living in light of who God is. So in chapter one, verse five, he begins by saying this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. That's the first big message that John wants to clarify. God is light. And he says, you know, we heard it from God himself, from Jesus firsthand. And now we're telling you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And he starts by clarifying this doctrine. He's making a big theological statement about the nature and the character of God. Now, why is that significant? Why is this the first place that John starts his argument? Well, John goes back to the very beginning. I mean, it's kind of how he likes to begin all of his arguments and books, right, with God. He says, God is light. Now, for us, what do we know of light? Right? Maybe the most obvious, light shines. That's what it does. Right? It illuminates things so that they can be seen. It exposes and reveals things that are are in the dark. And it gives direction, right? When light is present, it can lead you on the right path. That's why we have like a bunch of street lamps, you know? Have you ever walked down a a really dark street with no lights? You don't know where you're going. Light is visible. Even the smallest light can be seen in the darkest room. Now, you guys don't know this because none of you guys are here at night most of the time, but the worship team knows. Uh, we're often here practicing late at night, and not late at night, but at night, and it's pitch black. It's l- pitch black. Now, if you see, the light switches to all these lights are on that wall, but the way that you enter is <laughs> over there. So you can imagine our struggle every single time. We like, need to, you know, either make our way in the dark, or we pull out our phone lights. The littlest light just lights our path to the light switch, right? Even the smallest light makes a difference in the darkest room. Light is important for life and the sustenance of living things. Like, I don't know if you guys can relate to this at all, but I have tried to grow plants in my apartment for a very long time now. Rachel has given me some of hers, and they have all died. Um, <laughs> so I, do, I just don't get any light in my apartment. And, you know, there's probably user error as well, but it, light is important for plants to grow, right? Light is important for not only plants, but you and me. Have you guys ever realized, you know, the effects of not going outside I have, especially during shelter in place, you know, you work from home, everything is remote, you don't have to get out of your bed or even open the curtains, you know. There are days where I just do not walk out into the sunlight at all. And you feel the effects of that. It's a very real thing. Our bodies, our our health, our mental health, they suffer the consequences when we don't have any light. Light is important for life. now we've explored what light is to us in the everyday, but where do we see light in the Bible? Remember back to the very beginning, Genesis 1, 3 to 4. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. It was the very first thing that God made. And so light, once again, is connected to life, and light is good according to God. Where else do we see light? We see that God not not only makes light, but he appears to his people as light, right? You remember in Exodus, he appears as a pillar of fire at night so he can light their path. Light represents righteousness and purity. Light is direction, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Represents goodness and truth. Light in the scriptures is always a good thing. Always a good thing. And it's often contrasted with darkness, which represents what is bad or evil or impure. So for God to be light, taking everything that we just mentioned, John's saying that God is the source of life and all goodness. There is no hint of darkness in God at all. There's no wrong or bad or evil in God's nature. Everything in God is right perfect. He is holy. He is good. He is full of truth and righteousness. He's perfectly just and morally pure. And the amazing thing is, church, he is visible. God is visible. God has revealed himself to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. He has shown himself to us that we might know him, that we might have fellowship with the Father and the Son, and that our joy would be made complete. I remember the Gnostics, they believed that there was the secret knowledge, the secret code for those who wanted to know God, right? It's kind of like God was really hard to find, but here John just clears it up. He said, God is light, and light is plain to see. Everyone can see light that is in the dark. So God is light, and he has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. That's John's first big message to the people, he says, you want to experience true fellowship with God, begin with knowing that God is light. Now, you know, for John, he builds off of things he's often written before in other places in scripture, and so we're going to turn to his gospel, and he establishes from the very beginning of that book his understanding of who God is. It's written in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So Let's trace it back. In 1 John 1, John says God is light. In John 1, we see that Jesus is God, and in him was the light of life. If you look further to John 8, Jesus says it of himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he said, Jesus is the light. And for those who follow him, you know, we will have the light of life. Well, you keep going in Jesus' words in John 12, verse 36. He says, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Do you see the progression that John is, is making here? God is light. Jesus is God. Jesus says he is the light. And then Jesus says to his followers, if you believe in the light, you'll become children of light. Later in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in another gospel, Jesus continues this light theme and he says, you are the light of the world. So John is making this connection, right? Just as kids, you know, resemble their parents or take after them, as children of God, we're supposed to look like God. We're supposed to be like our Father. And so if God is light, we as God's children are supposed to be like light. The experience of fellowship begins here. It begins with knowing that God is light, but that has implications for us and how we live as well. Let's keep going. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So in this next section, John, again, begins to make that connection to fellowship. And he's showing what it looks like to be in fellowship and what it looks like not to be. So here, his first example, he's talking about someone who is claiming to have this fellowship, this spiritual intimacy and connectedness with God, and yet actively walking in darkness. And he says, that person is a liar. It's a liar. It's it's blunt and it's harsh, right? He says they deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. Now get this, John does not mean that Christians are perfect or that they never sin right? Clearly that is not what he means because he addresses that in verse 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Or verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So what exactly does walking in darkness mean? Well, let's take a step back and clarify some of those terms. Here, walking in darkness is not merely walking in sin, though that is part of it. Walking in darkness is denying our sin while claiming to be in fellowship with God. Denying our sin while claiming to be in fellowship with God. That is exactly what the Gnostics were doing, right? They were claiming to have this special uh, knowledge and fellowship with God while they were blatantly living and excusing a life of sin and disobedience and darkness. They were denying that they were sinning at all. So here, walking in darkness is denial, while claiming to be in fellowship with God. Denying sin, claiming to be sinless. And John says they are liars. Now, on the other hand, walking in light does not mean walking in sinless perfection. Right? We clarified that earlier. That's not what John means. No, walking in the light is understanding that we are sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with God and each other if we walk in the light. In other words, if we understand that we are all sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what binds us all together in this church? The thing that we share in common as brothers and sisters in Christ is our our understanding of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. So walking in the light does not mean walking in perfection. Otherwise verse 7 wouldn't make sense. Now, why would we need to be purified from sin if we're already pure, right? So walking in the light is not walking in sinless perfection. It's an understanding that I'm a sinner saved by grace. This whole thing is, is, is not a call to be sinless because no one was sinless but Jesus. It's a call to walk in the direction of becoming more like Jesus, You see, John's making this connection because he's emphasizing that fellowship is not just about right knowledge about God. It's also about right living in light of who God is. The Gnostics at the time thought that they could live however they wanted in the flesh because all that mattered was spiritual. But John is saying, no, no, no. Your life matters. How you choose to live your life matters because that is the true fruit of fellowship with god the experience of fellowship begins with knowing that god is light but the evidence of fellowship is found in walking in the light so from the text what is what does it then practically mean to walk in the light well we already talked about that that foundation understanding who we are right sinners saved by grace but the next thing i see here is Confession, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John understands full well that we are bound to mess up and fall short here and there. He knows the battle between the old man and the new one. And so he says, guys, when this happens, confess your sins. Acknowledge them right? Just take ownership of them and come to the Father, and he will forgive you. Don't deny your sin. Don't walk in darkness. Don't be like the Gnostics, but confess them and receive the grace of Jesus and bring it into the light. Friends, did you know that there's actually like a spiritual um, discipline and practice of confession? It's You know, not necessarily going, you know, in the Catholic church where you go and you sit in the box and someone's sitting behind there. And, you know, not exactly like that. That's not how we would practice it. But it's the idea of acknowledging or admitting our wrongdoing before God and others. You might think, okay, well, why do I need to do that? Like, doesn't God already know when I sin or mess up? And yes, he absolutely does. But there's something deeper about confession and what it does for you and me. It's the step, the first step that we can take on our end to own our sin, to ask for forgiveness. And it honors God and it allows for repair in the relationship. Haven't you guys experienced that when someone has wronged you? How good it feels when they just confess to you, I am really sorry I did that. And this process, it, it doesn't stop there. It often leads to freedom. When you confess, when you get things off your chest, doesn't it feel a lot better, just practically speaking, like the weight has been lifted? You see, when we confess our sins to God and to each other, when we bring things to the light, we experience freedom from the darkness. We're no longer hiding. We're no longer slaves to our sin, but it actually opens the door for restoration and strengthening of the bond of fellowship that we have with the Lord and also with each other. It opens the door for us to receive the grace of the gospel once again, where Jesus forgives and purifies us. And it doesn't matter how many times, honestly, it doesn't matter. Come to the Lord, confess your sins. John continues in uh, chapter 2 and says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right, so Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the text just says it again and again. He's faithful and just to forgive. Guys, Jesus already paid the penalty of your sin on the cross when he died and when he rose again. And for those who are in Christ, who have fellowship with him, the blood of Jesus covers you, cleanses you. So trust that. And come before him. Confess your sin honestly before him. Walking in the the light means confessing sin and receiving his grace. Now that's good news, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But what happens now? I mean, are we told to just live in this place where it's like, okay, yes, I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. And... Yes, I know when I sin, I can confess and God will forgive me and I'll just, you know, kind of stay right here. Are we just supposed to live our lives just in that mentality? I don't think so. I don't think John thinks so either. John says it's it's more than that. It's about walking. Right? He constantly uses that verb now, walking implies a, a continuous thing, right? We all do it, you know, you put one foot in front of the other and you walk towards something. It's a continuous thing and it's something that you do actively. It keeps going. And so walking in the light implies a continuous, active progression toward the light. Who is the light? It's Jesus, right? Walking in the light is walking toward becoming more like Jesus. And John continues and he starts to connect, uh, connect the dots between right thinking and right living. The evidence or the fruit of fellowship with God is actually a transformed life, a changed life. In verse 3, we pick it up here. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Another translation says walk in the same way in which he walked. All right, so walking in the light also means walking in the way of Jesus or living as Jesus lived. And I will say it does not mean doing exactly every little thing that he did right? Because we are not called to be the Savior of the world and die on the cross for the world's sins. That's not what he's talking about here. But what he says here, he says, keep his commands. Obey his words, right? Look at the way that he lived his life, how he treated people, right? Where he says, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies, right? A lot of love in the room. Pray for those who persecute you, It means taking Jesus seriously in the things that he did and said and taught and actually doing them, like actually wanting to learn how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and and taking steps towards that. Church, I just want to ask you honestly, when you take a look at your life, does it reflect Jesus? When you examine your life, the things that you do, the things that you say, the things you think, does it reflect Jesus? Because that's how, you, that's how you can tell if you have fellowship with God, if you have a deep, real relationship with him. Why? Because if you did, you'd want to be like him. You'd want to obey him. You'd want to keep his commands. And John may sound harsh here, but he puts it bluntly, right? Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. It's the same language he used in chapter 1 when he's talking about walking in darkness and denying sin. Right? You can't say that you're a Christian and not do what he commands. In fact, John says, really, it's in our obedience that our love for God is made complete, that it's it's perfected. We literally show our love for God when we do what he said and when we live as he lived. The experience of fellowship begins with knowing that God is light, but the evidence is found in walking in the light. I became a Christian when I was really young. I mean, I can't even tell you. I don't remember what age. For all I remember, I was born in the church And I believed in God. I got baptized when I was in eighth grade. I prayed the prayer. I called myself a Christian. And on the outside, I had a relationship with God. But it wasn't until I was 17 years old, about to go to college, that I experienced for the first time true fellowship with God. Like a real personal, intimate relationship with him. Where I started to see him as more than just God up there or God far away, but as a real person, like a, f- a friend who walks beside me every day, who I talk to out loud in the car or just when I'm walking sometimes. And people might think I'm a crazy person, but that's what I do. The one who I share my life and my thoughts with, who I'm doing this life with. And it was then that I started to live and see my life differently. I was able to experience the, the fullness and joy of life with God. Life with God is beautiful. Life with God is hopeful. Life with God is good. And today, you know, no matter what I go through, no matter how hard life gets, I still believe that because of my fellowship with God. I don't have a perfect relationship with Him, I don't think I ever will. I sin, I mess up, but I go to him and I confess and he forgives me and he helps me to turn and to walk in the right direction towards him to become more like Jesus. And Church, I don't, I don't say that to brag to you. I really don't. Please don't take it that way. I say it because it has changed my life and because I want you guys to feel that and to experience that too. If you you maybe came here and you've never received the gospel or heard it before, but you want to, that first step, that first step of of understanding that we are sinners saved by the grace of Jesus, that's for you. Jesus has made a way on the cross for you to begin that relationship with him. But if you call yourself a Christian, maybe you have been walking with him for years and you have never experienced that type of fellowship with him. true fellowship with God. If you do, and as we close, I'm just gonna recap what we've talked about today. If you do, know that God is light and choose to walk in the light. Number one, very practically, confess your sins. Take some time this week to sit down, be still, examine your heart and your life. Confess the ways maybe you have messed up You've offended someone, you've sinned, and confess those things to the God who is light. And you know, I know most of us probably don't outright deny our sin, Um, but I do think sometimes we justify it, or rationalize it, or soften it so it's not that bad, right? We try to hide it from God and from the people around us. I mean, maybe you're struggling right now with a secret sin, and you just wanna keep it in the dark my encouragement, don't do it. John says that sin separates us from fellowship with God. And so confess your sin. Just confess because the Lord is faithful and just and he will forgive you and he will cleanse you because of what he has already done on the cross. So confess and receive his forgiveness today. Number two, um, strive to walk in the way of Jesus. I know that's a big statement. Um, I, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not saying just modify your behavior and then you will have fellowship with God. That's not what I'm saying. But the reality is fellowship with God, true fellowship, should lead to becoming changed, more like Christ. And it's not going to magically happen the day that you accept Christ. It won't happen on its own. It's a process of of learning, of sanctifying, a lifelong journey of learning with God what it means to be his follower, his disciple, what it means to walk with him, to live like Jesus did, to obey him as an outpouring of our love for him. Because remember, how you live your life matters. God is light, but remember, Jesus says to us, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that they may see and glorify our Father in heaven. So take steps to walk in the way of Jesus. Now what that practically looks like, we're going to talk about next week. Uh, It's going to be all about love. Um, But for now, remember that walking in the light means walking in the way of Jesus and living as he lived. Church, this, this fellowship that I'm talking about is real. John experienced it. The disciples experienced it. I'm sure many of you have experienced it as well, and so have I. It is real, and it's available to you. The God of the universe, the creator of the world, almighty, all-powerful, utterly holy and perfect and righteous in every way imaginable, the God who is light, wants to have fellowship with you. Yes, he made a way for you and me, broken and messed up sinners to have a relationship with him through Jesus, but he also wants to continue to have an ongoing, deep, real fellowship with us as we live and walk the good life with him. So walk in the light because this is the way. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord. We thank you that you loved your people so much that you made a way for us to be in relationship with you and to know you and to love you and to enjoy you and to walk in this life with you, Lord. Lord, I I just want to pray for um, everyone here today, wherever they're at in their relationship with you, Lord. I I pray um, that you would meet. I pray that if they don't have that type of relationship with you, but they want it, Lord, um, that they would uh, turn to you and know that you are faithful to meet them, that you are faithful to be there, that you have been there the entire time walking with them. Lord, I pray that in this process of of um, being in fellowship with you, Lord, that you would help us to walk in the light, to walk in the right direction, to becoming more and more like your son, that we would be lights in the world that look different, that we would be lights in the world that shine your glory so that all might see and all might know who you are, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for any of us who might be struggling with something, with sin or uh, insecurity or worry or whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that we would be able to confess that to you, And to be comforted by the fact that you are God who loves, who forgives, who is just and faithful to lavish your grace and your mercy upon your people. So for anyone here, Lord, would you meet them? Would they know that you are God? Would they be comforted by you as their Savior? We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.